We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. He turns. He fires for the win. He's got the bucket at the buzzer. back to Bibby. Has the open shot. Ladies and gentlemen, up on those feet, put those hands together. And we'll meet tonight starting five for your Sacramento Kings. Welcome into the Kings Beat Podcast. We're going live. I am James Hammy, Kings Insider for ESPN 1320 and the Kings Beat. We are brought to you by Price Picks and we, of course, Blue Wire Podcast. Uh-oh. Whoa. Look at that. The live is going live on another t- channel on my laptop. Uh, welcome in Fox 40, Sean Cunningham. Sean, how are you? I'm great, James. Great, Brendan. Thanks for waiting for me. I was running tardy. I apologize. Mm. I do blame Caltrans and all the crazy, crazy road work that's going on in this state that just seems never ending, but closing down ramps and streets and all the above. It's a, it, it, it's almost, it bothers me almost as bad as bad weather, but not quite. Not quite. Uh, of course, we also have Brendan Nunes from the King's Pulse podcast. What's going on, Brendan? Not much. I'm doing well. I'm waking up from what feels like the nap of my life. Had a very good oh, post deadline nap. You know, I'm yeah, just trying to match the age group of my my fellow co-hosts here and getting a little daily nap. Hey, first off, that's you... bullshit. Can I say something? Like, <laughs> uh, uh, na- I don't know about you guys, but I've been napping since I was a toddler, so it's not an age thing. I did it in preschool. Since... I found time in high school. All that but... stuff. Okay, so it continued through high school and uh, well, you Sean just also everybody did like pre-K kindergarten naps. Sean also eats graham crackers still and sometimes <laughs> right. partakes in apple juice. I love apple <laughs> juice, don't you? I love apple juice and apple cider that we get through at the Kings games. Those are great. actually late because your tricycle only goes so fast. Uh, oh, there it is. Oh, look at too that. Big for a tricycle. It's a big <laughs> wheel. It's a big wheel. Thank you very much. <laughs> Uh, he's got the green machine. He's driving down the freeway. Uh, what's going on, everybody? Uh, Sacramento Kings just uh, I, like did what Brandon did. They ripped Van Winkle their way right through a NBA trade deadline. Just slept right through it. Didn't even worry about what happened. 
Uh, the Sacramento Kings basically stood pat during a uh, riveting, I don't know if it was riveting, um, NBA trade deadline. The one thing they did do was acquire Robin Lopez for a player that no one in the world knew was uh, was property of the Sacramento Kings at all. Um, and if I could even find his name, I I don't even know. Like, no one knows who he is. Uh, he was drafted back in 2015. They acquired his draft rights as part of the uh, the um, Iman Shumpert, George Hill deal, uh, which, again, there's somewhere there on the Internet, there is a list of, of, like, players that the Kings have rights to, just like every other team. Uh, but either way, the, the Kings have already waived Mr. Lopez. Uh, this is, strangely enough, the second time that they have traded for Robin Lopez and tr- and waived him before he ever got a jersey printed. Uh, what's your initial takeaway from the uh, just the inactivity of the Kings? We'll start with Brendan tonight. Brendan, this is not your first trade deadline, but... It's one of your early trade deadlines, and this one just came and went, and what in the world happened? Yeah, it was definitely interesting from my perspective. You know, a lot of initial smoke around what the Kings may or may not do, and obviously seemed like they were involved in a lot of different conversations. We know that this front office has a willingness to at least be aggressive in having those conversations and looking around, seeing what the potential options are out there and I feel like I'd kind of been saying for a while that I didn't feel like they needed to force anything right now they have pretty much everybody under contract after this season the only guy not in their like top seven eight maybe even nine coming back is really Malik Monk who's a unrestricted free agent and there's still a chance they could bring him back I don't think there was really anything that was going to happen this deadline that was going to impact their offseason status with Malik Monk so I, I think that it would have been worse to make the wrong move than to sit and really make no move at all, pretty much as they did. But, you know, there are a handful of moves that were made throughout the deadline that were a handful of second round picks. You look at like um, Simone Fontecchio going to the Pistons. I, I thought is somebody that would have made a lot of sense for the Kings. Royce O'Neal goes to Phoenix and those sort of moves or, or Minnesota finding a way to get Monty Morris, for example. I think there's a couple moves you could look at where it's like, maybe I would have wished the Kings would have, spent a couple second rounders and tried to get a better eighth guy, just another rotational piece that maybe Mike can rely on day to day. But I don't think that not doing anything is necessarily shocking to me from just a long-term roster building perspective, because I didn't feel like there was a need to really rush anything here. Hmm. Sean. Um, I mean, I think your question was what I just make of the day overall. I I, I thought, honestly, um, removing the Kings a little bit, I kind of thought by and large, this was a, it was an active day, but I wasn't really blown away by any particular move. I thought by and large, a lot of the products that were going to different teams were rather meh. Like I didn't think there was, um, like some super move that 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 like blew me away. I thought a lot of the movement was just very I'm trying to think of it, like just average, like just okay, all right. There's a move, like nothing that that blows your hair back or anything like that. I, I felt like um, 
if you're the Kings and I think if, if you're listening to this podcast for the first time, go back and listen to our last one. Um, go back and listen to really a couple of them, but really the last one where, yeah, things might've been deemed quiet. Um, but we played a game. I did some brilliant acting on my part. I think I deserved an, an, an award um, where I played the role of Monty McNair and I was showing a, a, a viewpoint that this team bets on the continuity of this team. They may know what they have, but I don't think that there was necessarily, you know, takes two to tango when you're looking for a move, you might like something and might be willing to part with something, but ultimately what you want to get and what you're willing to part with may not totally make a huge difference or even put you that big of a foot forward or even be worth the risk of potentially being slightly better. I think this team, if they found the right move that they were willing to, to go after that, that, didn't jeopardize the future too terribly much and they would have done it. But I think they're not going to do anything unless they're convinced that they, they're going to, you know, really make a, a, a bold move here and it's going to benefit them. So we played the part last week where I posed the question of you look at your playoff teams, how many of them can you feel like you can beat? And I think James and I were pretty conservative in finding four teams out of the seven uh, that you could potentially beat if the playoffs were to start today. Uh, I think one through six, this team feels oh, we made very good them. about the pieces that they have that one through six for the right people Did I, did I glitch there? You glitch, but you're back. Go for it. Okay. I think, I think one through six in that rotation, um, they would have been willing to make the right move uh, for the right piece. And I just don't think that they were able to find the piece ultimately that they wanted and there wasn't necessarily a tertiary move that they were looking to ultimately bring in. So I don't think I'm surprised. Uh, I, I don't think anybody should be surprised. Um, but this isn't the only time you get to tinker with your schedule, you know? Yeah. Okay. So tinker with your roster, I should say your roster, not the schedule. Yeah. 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 So here's how I kind of look at it. Um, I wrote on, on Wednesday, like, look, the Kings realistically, their stockpile gets a whole lot more attractive on July 1st, right? So that's the day where the NBA resets. If, if I'm just going to say, if the Kings make the playoffs, I felt a lot better about that, that statement like yesterday, like before they lost to the Pistons. But if the Kings make the playoffs, then their 2024 draft pick goes to the Atlanta Hawks. And what happens on July 1st is you now have all of your draft picks starting in 2025, all of your first-round draft picks, all the way through 2031. You've got seven years' worth of draft picks. And the Stepien rule is complicated, but once you get past a draft, it no longer counts against what, what's moving forward, right? So the Stepien rule basically says you can't trade back-to-back draft picks. That means that if I'm working a deal today or, or let's say I'm working a deal on J- July 1st and I've got 2025, 20, 26, 27, 28, 29, 30 and 31. I can't trade 25 and 26 and I can't tw- trade 26 and 27. I have to trade every other year. But once a draft pick goes, now you can you're reset and you can trade your picks. Like for instance, the Kings traded their 2023 first round draft pick last year right after the draft. And then they took that money with long with Rashawn Holmes, right? They, they traded that pick. So 
in a sense, they've already traded back-to-back first-round picks. Um, so when we get to July 1st, now the Kings have, as Brendan said, all of their players still under contract except for Malik Monk. Their, their core, they have a huge, it, it might even be more than their core. Uh, the only guys that aren't under contract, I think, are Kessler Edwards, uh, JaVale McGee, and Alex Lynn. Yeah. Outside of that, everybody else is under contract. So now when they go into July 1st, and that's the first day of free agency, and that's when a lot of trades happen, they have all of these draft picks, and they have like a, a $6 million Chris Duarte, a $6.5 million Davion Mitchell, a six and a half or $7 million Sasha Vizenkov, an $8 million Trey Lyles. Like they have all of these contracts they can now go out and trade. And so realistically, waiting until July 1st is the more prudent move. But to not do anything, like to like break into the war chest and go do something just to do something, that's not what you need to do here. What you need to do is make a move that makes you better because your team isn't good enough. And that's just me being blunt. This team isn't good enough. They just got beat by the Detroit Pistons. And I don't care. There are no excuses in the book for you losing to a six-win Detroit Pistons team. And when that move, when that happened on Wednesday night at 9.30 at night, uh, for me, that that put Monty McNair on a clock where he had like 14 and a half hours to do something just to mix up the, the, the group a little bit and to add something that might have made them a little bit better. Like, Brandon, you brought up Royce O'Neal. Uh, I don't know that I want to give up three second-round draft picks for Royce O'Neal, but at the same time, you got like nine of them. So why not? Um, you needed to get better, and you didn't get better. And other teams around you, the Dallas Mavericks got better, the Phoenix Suns got better, and you didn't. And those are the teams that you're going to be competing for not for the the three the one two three four five one two three four in the playoffs, but the five six seven eight, and now you're in danger of being in a play-in situation, where maybe if you make a, a move that makes sense, you're not in the playoff play-in situation. So I, it's kind of it's kind of weird because I feel like you could like construe that as me talking out of both sides of my mouth. You need to make a trade, but you don't need to make a trade. But realistically, there are all kinds of different types of trades. There are giant trades. There are small trades. The Kings, in my opinion, they needed to do something because what we saw on Wednesday night is something that we've seen 10 other times this season, and it's just not good enough. And so that's where I'm at, and and maybe that's, like, too harsh, but, you know, like, I, I get it. I Yeah, I mean, I think it's uh, – look, I, I get what you're saying because – I think you and I are in the same boat of we feel like we know this team. We feel like we know what they're capable of and when they're at their best, what they might be capable of still isn't as good as maybe you'd like it to be. Um, I would say, yes. I mean, losing to the Detroit Pistons while unfortunate doesn't take away from the fact that you were still just nine games over 500 just the other day, but I will say, and this is now me speaking out of both sides of my mouth things that I tried to pull out of there. It's like they have moments where they're playing great basketball, but even when they're going five and two on that road trip, you have moments where you're like, what the hell is this? Now, one of the things that they were able to do is win ugly. And it's been a characteristic kind of of this team. It's like, all right, that was a real shitty game, but somehow you were able to really pull that out. And it's a win in the win column. And at the end of the day, it's all that matters. You know, they're, they're able to compile games like that, but 
make no mistake, this team tricks off a lot of games and they have, and Trey Lyles was talking a lot about it today and using the word respect for your opposition, um, using the phrase respect for your opposition, they treat lower echelon opponents as if it's a, it's a, it's a sure thing that they can just sleepwalk through a game and, and chalk it up as a win column. It probably didn't help that they beat Detroit in Detroit doing that very same recipe, that same formula. They baked the cake doing that. 47-point quarter, you come back, close out a deficit, and then you step on the throat of that team and you put them away. That team, the Pistons being without a couple of key players, even key players on a six-win team coming into that game, uh, felt like they probably could have done that. And I know you know Malik Monk didn't like to hear the boos after the end of the game. Um, those boos were 100% warranted. You know, they, they, mm-hmm. they should have heard those boos. Those Mike Brown was booing you when you went in the locker room that night and telling you how awful you were uh, defensively. James, you, you were harping on it coming back out of the five and two trip that what they're doing defensively on the perimeter is wholeheartedly unacceptable. So while you're able to win games, you have some flaws and and I completely understand that, but making a move to make a move and, you know, thinking of the broad picture, this is bigger than that. And, and I do disagree there. I don't think you go out and, and we talked about it last year. You have to make the right move. You have to make the move that you're most comfortable with. And look, we always talk about, there's no analytic for chemistry, making a move as small as something that you think could be tertiary and maybe help you in a playoff series, whatever, even take a smallest step could be detrimental to what you do to your locker room. So you have to factor those things in. And I think they're still betting on the continuity here of this team. And much like I talked about last uh, podcast, whether I agree with it or not, I think the thought process here is bet on this continuity. You're, everything you're doing is leading up to a point for this playoff run. And you want to see what this team can still, as put together, can still do. And like I said, whether I agree with that or not, I think that's what the thought process is. And I think it's somewhat understandable. Like, I, I think that we don't know that the Kings could have won that with a little better execution, could have got out of the first round last year. And you could argue they're going into this year with that postseason experience under their belt. This group has played together for an extended period of time, as Sean said. Um, they're doing a lot of things this regular season that are specifically geared towards bettering their postseason odds. And, you know, this group is capable of getting out of the first round. And I think if that happened at the end of the year, that the fan base would feel great and that there was this positive continued uh, trajectory upwards. And it's not always going to be that black and white and linear. And I think that a smaller move could have helped with that postseason push, even if it was a couple second rounders for a guy that was expiring. You know, I think getting, if that, somehow helped you get to the second round, which is a big if for a guy we're talking about acquiring for seconds, you never know, um, then that would be beneficial even if he walked because it's more postseason experience for this current group. So I do think some, I I agree with what you're saying, Sean, about waiting on a move, um, but I I think it's kind of the bigger ones. I I think some smaller one I definitely think could have benefited this group, but I don't really hold it against them that it didn't happen because I don't think it was for a lack of, of trying. You know, I'd imagine that if they were out, that they were active in these conversations in all these players that we can sit and talk about that was, I'd imagine, considered for the most part. You know, it's not like the plan was to to sit and wait in my mind. I I think that um, there's still very much beneficial ways that this season can continue their positive trajectory upwards. And 
they're just proving that they are very willing to be patient. Yeah, and, and I, also, I think James, yeah. I asked you this earlier, even off record. I said there there's a challenge that comes with being a buyer in a seller's market. You know, like sure, you can identify some of the players that were traded today and go, oh, okay, I could I could see him in a king's uniform and what was given up. You, can, you might be able to go, oh, okay, why well why would why maybe they could have been in the mix for that, but there's also teams that like, it's just like fantasy sports in a way you look at a team and you go, all right, well, I'm going to try and better my team. I don't want to do business with this guy over here. You know, I don't want to send this product to a team that I might see four or five times in a, in a given season that that certainly plays factors. There's a whole bunch of things that go into how a trade gets done. And ultimately I just feel like there was nothing today that, that really blew me away. And I think there's a lot of mediocre pieces getting, getting moved about uh, to where everything kind of felt like, you know, reshuffling at the deck or whatever analogy you want to use. I didn't think there was a super impactful player that was, that was dealt today that, that the Kings for what they were willing to get rid of uh, to acquire those pieces would have landed you a, a really big fish. No, I agree The the big fish weren't out there. Like uh, the Kings should not have been in the Bojan Bogdanovich sweepstakes. They should, I mean, you could probably say that they should have, at least checked checked in on the PJ Washington situation, which they may have, and we just don't know. Um, but I still think that there are are other moves along the margins that that you probably needed to look at. You need to look at heavily. And, and I would go back to last season too. This is exactly what happened last trade deadline. I mean, almost identical. Yeah. You know, they they got cash to take on Kessler Edwards into their fifteenth roster spot this year. They got cash to take on. Uh, an aging uh, Robin Lopez and then wave him, but to they did that into the 15th roster spot and they have waived Robin Lopez as of, as of tonight. So, uh, but my point would be that, that last season they didn't make the moves that like were sitting there that actually did happen. The, the moves like Mason Plumley, the moves like Matisse Thibel, and then you get to the first round of the playoffs and you get killed on the offensive glass by by uh, Kevon Looney. And you get beat in Game 7 by Steph Curry. And both of those pieces would have been valuable. Whether you would have won that series or not, I don't know. But the fact that you would have had another rebounding center instead of Chemezi Metu or another perimeter defender as opposed to anyone else that you were throwing out there, Terrence Davis, anyone else you want to bring up, um, it just feels like, that that there was an opportunity and the, both of those players go for second round picks, a couple of second round picks. I think both of them, but it's also, it just plays into a larger theme that you're not getting something done at the moment. And I, I think that again, this team is not right just because they went five and two on a road trip. They were Oh, and four the four games before that. And you could tell that this team is odd, that there's something like not right all the way. And I'll keep going back to what Monty McNair says, like his own words, maintain and improve. I see maintain without any question. I do not see improve. And in fact, what I've seen over the last month and a half from this team is regression and very, very distinct regression on the defensive side of the ball. They're giving up. They are like teams are shooting 39.7% from three against this team on the season. 39.7. I mean, that is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. 
for a team that wants to have, wants to be a defensive minded team. Like that's just ridiculous. That, and over the last like 20 games, it's more like 43% or higher. They just gave up like a, a boatload of threes to the worst team in the NBA. They just don't defend at all without their two best players, without their two best players. And then with how many players got waived on that team? Three players that beat the Sacramento Kings last night got waived today by that team. Killian Hayes, Joe Harris, Danilo Gallinari, all gone. Uh, So I I don't like, you can't make excuses for what we're seeing. The fact that they dropped to the seven seed, it's probably where they, they are as of right now. So unless they figure out like how to maintain is one thing, but how to maintain and improve, show me where your path forward is. Well, I'm not I sure think, that I see I that. Think, I think it's it's a, a little bit too literal of a of a um, deciphering the maintain and improve because I think maintain and improve is over the span over this life that they're that they're looking at. They're not looking at it maintain and improve for the twenty three twenty four season. And I'll say this like. I don't, I don't want to come off as like I'm defending the front office. I, I understand maybe the approach here. I mean, this is a team that since Monty McNair has been there, what, what is it, like 17 trades? I mean, they've been very aggressive when it comes to... But how many are meaningful? Well, no, but I'm just saying that they... they and that's in they four t- years. Tinker. Yeah, but they tinker. I mean, that that's... Trades is where the bread and butter is... is, is the, the bread is buttered with this team because, again... Sacramento yes. as a free agent market is difficult to 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 get. I, I get yeah, that. Yeah, just like, like they're not part of the buyout market. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Now, I mean, they might be. <laughs> you know, there's there's still there's people that are available and whatever okay, that means. Sean, they've never yeah. been before, not once. It hasn't really oh, happened ahead. once. Uh, but <laughs> but there there were a lot of names that became available. And again, I there's nothing there that makes me go, oh wow, go get him. Um, but again, I think the maintain and improve is beyond just the season. And they want to keep the optionality and they want to keep flexibility and they don't want to be do making a move for the sake of making a move. And I, I know that can be tough. And I know that, that look, that Detroit Pistons loss is the worst of the year. I said that before the game, by the way, I said, if they lose by one or 30 tonight, it would be the worst of the year. Uh, and I think it, it, it held that. I think it was the worst of the year. I also think that if they win that game, we're not talking about, not necessarily obviously we're not talking about a loss to the Pistons, but we're not talking about how bad this team is doing. You're going, oh wow, they you know they just came off a five seven game road trip. They went five and two, maybe ten games over. But the reality is, they also haven't been playing well. They have moments where they play great, and they have like a minute ago, like I was talking about, they have moments where you look like absolute dreck, and you're winning because you're able to close out the game somehow. But by and large, the game is still really like the effort is you're beating them on the offensive end. The defense is really terrible. So you have a lot of, I get all that. But my point is if you win the, if you beat the pay, the Pistons, it doesn't erase how those moments of, of abject like failure on the defensive end keep happening. So I don't think that they had a, um, I think they tried to address some things, but ultimately at the price, at the cost of what it would have come down to, I just don't think that it was there. And I just like to remind people that like you still have an identical record to what you did last year and the whole mindset of, can you become a team that is able to improve defensively? Does it go further? I would argue that Mike Brown is essentially already coaching for the playoffs. And I think they could benefit from this. 
And I still think that where they are, despite being a loss to the, these awful teams like the Hornets and the, and the Memphis Grizzlies. And now you had the Pistons on top of that, a, 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 along with a slew of other ones throughout the season, they're still experiencing the same success. They are exactly what they were last year. Only now they're losing to bad teams and, and they don't have the those moments early in the season, like last year where they were able to capitalize on a lot of teams that took them for granted. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Yeah, I mean, there's a handful of like really bad losses is kind of the issue, right? Is that there's that Detroit game, you could go to a very similar game where they lost to Charlotte. Um, there's a different category of, well, that you could also do the two Houston ones earlier. And then there's a different category of bad losses, like the blown loss, the blown lead in Phoenix, or the missed free throws at the end of the Milwaukee game. So there's a lot of like really, I feel like tough to swallow sort of losses here. Um, but when it comes to like the the maintain and build, I, I think that it, it's kind of where this is one of the maintain moments, I guess. And it being disciplined and willing to main pa- remain patient and um, just disciplined again in those moments, I, I think is what helps you be able to save your assets so you can build down the line when you see um, the right sort of piece. And And what I would say that the big developments that I think have taken place this year for the long-term trajectory of this team are De'Aaron Fox becoming a really good three-point shooter. And I know that's regressed a little bit over the last 20 games. He's like 33% from three. You go to the last 10, he's about 30%. Um, so there's some regression there, but I think that there's been enough positive progress that I feel comfortable saying he's a much improved three-point shooter, which is really important. And I think you're seeing it more consistently defensively from him. And I think that you've seen a lot of progress from Keegan Murray, even if offensively, again, there's been a little bit of a step back. Um, and I think that somewhat has to do. There's definitely a direct correlation with Harrison Barnes getting more shot attempts and getting more involved. But you've seen so much defensive progress from Keegan Murray. So I think that those two big things are just really important for the long term projection of this team as two key members of this core continue to get better and 
if you can get this group and specifically the core members more postseason experience, then this I think you could chalk up this year is okay. This was part of the process and a step down the line. Hmm. Okay. Uh, before we get too far into this, uh, number one, if you're watching here on YouTube, we'd love it if you hit the thumbs up button. Um, give us a rating review wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, jump on board with the King's Beat. Go to thekingsbeat.com. Uh, become a premium subscriber to thekingsbeat.com. Also, we are brought to you by Prize Picks. Uh, I play Prize Picks uh, every single game. I'll probably even play some this weekend with the Super Bowl. Um, I'm having a good time. I, I did go through the brutal bad beat that I had, um, which Brandon knows about and Sean knows about uh, where I lost by what 0.5 of a point from De'Aaron Fox for like a huge payout. That would have been fun, but I'm having a good time, time doing prize picks. We're doing it uh, every game. Um, you know, Keegan Murray's dunk has, has all of a sudden failed us, uh, especially when he goes for zero points. Um, but uh but I'm having a good time doing it. Uh, if you guys uh, want to get into prize picks, there is a link down below in the description. Uh, the keyword is uh, King's Beat, all one word. And uh, jump on board with prize picks. It, it, again, I'm having a great time doing it. It's a lot of fun. Uh, a lot of my randomness is is like it does not pay off. But uh, and I like to go big every single every single game with uh, more of everything and usually like a six pick which is crazy. I don't know why I do that every time. I, if I were more conservative, I'd have uh, probably more uh, more money in my prize pick account. But either way, uh, jump on board with prize picks if you're interested. It's a good time. Um, let's get to, you know, like, Brennan, you brought him up. Um, De'Aaron Fox, right? I You did talk about Keegan Murray and De'Aaron Fox's three. Um, but I also will say, like, first of all, the other big development is that Demonis Sabonis has become one of the best players in the in the league, and there's not even question about it. Like his consistency each night, dropping a triple double or a double double every single night is by far like one of the most impressive things I've ever watched a basketball player do. I mean, it's just like easy money for him to walk out there and get a triple double or a double double. It's just wild. Um, but the Fox situation to me is worth like looking at because De'Aaron Fox was so good in October and November and December. And then we get to January and he just wasn't. And I, I don't know how else to like break it down, whether he got tired, whether he couldn't maintain that level, but we saw it in the, in the Detroit game. And like, you can't really let him off the hook like that. That was not a performance that, that, you know, anyone was looking forward, uh, looking at, and applauding to me that was like whether it was lack of energy um like pulling up from three when you hadn't hit anything for a while um just like the overall feel was off and so i was looking at his stats and you know again he averages 31 points a game in october 30.4 in november 29.3 in december and then he drops down to 22.5 in 15 games in the month of january Shoots 43.4% from the field, 32.6% from three. And we're seeing that player again in February. He's averaging 24 three. Uh, his two point percentage is up a little bit, 46.8. His three point percentage is at 36.7. But it just feels like he's not the player that we saw early in the season right now. And I, you know, again, his usage has dipped 
and like just something feels like it's not right with him. Where are you guys at with with Fox? And like, is there a point here? I mean, clearly he needs the All Star break. Like I, a lot of players do, but he looks like he needs like a hard reset. Yeah, that's kind of where I was going to go with that. As I'm curious to see how he looks after that break. You know, obviously he's had kind of lingering ankle stuff ever since that grade three a handful of years ago that he had. Uh, we saw his shoulder get a little banged up earlier this year. So it wouldn't surprise me if there's small nicks and bruises, but I feel like most players are dealing with things to a certain extent at this point in the season. And I kind of just view it as I, I think that it's hard to, I mean, each game has its own unique circumstances and maybe some scenarios of how teams are defending him and things like that. Um, and I also think that Malik Monk, when he has tough nights and isn't there as a secondary playmaker to be alongside Fox, that that can kind of put a little bit, not too much responsibility on Fox, because I think he can definitely handle it, but it doesn't make anything easier, I guess is what I'll say there. Um, so I think it's hard to maintain this level of play that we saw where he's averaging 30 at the start of the year. And you wish that the maybe slump wouldn't be as low as it has been recently but i think that more often than not I, I don't feel like they're losing games because of a lack of production from fox i still think they're finding ways to win he um, is finding a way to make an impact defensively i think he's been all over the deflections and in steals recently when it comes to that um, and he still hits the pain and sort of make plays you know i, I think that on nights like last night against the pistons it's like i, I think that he goes into the fourth quarter with I believe it's about eight points. I could have that slightly wrong. Um, and I'm thinking that he's just, okay, just take over this quarter. And it, it, the first three won't even matter because everybody else had good quarters here and there and decent stints. Um, and that just didn't happen. So I think that when it's down to a close game, you're the reigning clutch player of the year. I think everybody on your team trusts you from what we can tell. And I, I think that everybody in Golden One Center is going to trust you to take over at the end of the game. So I think there's moments where, I still would wish that was happening, but for now, honestly, a lot of it I chalk up to, I think that it's difficult to maintain maintain that high level of play, and that's part of the adjustment for De'Aaron this year is not only reaching that level like he has, but figuring out what it takes to be able to maintain that. So I'm curious to see if he looks uh, a little bit more back in shape and top form, I guess, after the break. Yeah, Sean, where are you at with him? Because, like, there is no fourth quarter Fox at this moment. Like, it's not there. And you no, can it, see it, the, it, the moments of brilliance, but he, it, I, and I say, I'll say it again. That when he walks out and he misses his first free throws, like, whatever it is, it shows you exactly how the game is going to go. It's almost without fault. Anytime he's missing the, from the free throw line, it's usually going to be a long night for the Sacramento Kings. He missed like four in a row, like in that loss to Detroit, to open? right? Yeah, to so, open yeah. the game, he missed four straight. I'll say this too, like, you know, again, I agree with you, Brendan. It's a point that I kind of brought up a few weeks back where I said, I don't know that having De'Aaron Fox at 30 points a night is the best recipe for sustained success for the season. And, and but it's certainly fun to watch. And I think uh, seeing him being capable of that is the biggest, you know, positive piece to come from that that being said like i'm not really all that worried about him it seems like through his time in sacramento he has a little stretch like this uh, sometimes it lasts about a month where things look a little wonky and it 
I remember that year where things were really cruising right in the early part of January. And then he went into the all-star break, a little bit of a funk and um, whatever it, whatever it is. Uh, yeah. Hopefully he can, he can self-correct. Um, I think seeing this team win helps a lot for sure. And to show that they can win without him being that guy, it, it I think goes a long way for the team's success. Um, but I'll say this, I think last night against the Pistons was actually a really good game to, to kind of show this team and even fans because He's in a funk. They take the Pistons for granted. Detroit goes up 15. Demonis Sabonis gets pissed. He and Malik Monk essentially, and I put Davion Mitchell in that group as well. Trey Lyles. On the bench. Yeah, Trey Lyles. But I'm talking about that third quarter specifically. And they bring them back, erase a 15-point deficit. Domas hits that three in front of, uh, you know, De'Aaron's wife and baby and has that moment where they're okay crisis averted we're going into the the kings are going in the fourth quarter with this one or two point lead they've they've erased a 15 point deficit rather quickly and they did it with fox on the bench for more more most of that quarter and then in the fourth you want to see him kind of become that guy again that fourth quarter fox all right as brennan was talking about you haven't had a great game but maybe this gets you going and he had a moment i'm sitting next to our buddy sam amick and he had a moment. It was kind of late in the game. Deficit's pretty big. It's already kind of a, all right, what the hell's going on here with this team? The Pistons just came in and just raining threes on you. And all of a sudden, he got just the most easy bucket on the other end. You know, ISO come through, step through, lay in. I mean, it was so easy that you're like, where where was that tonight? Everything's been a chuck up three. Uh, he, he, you know, I think everyone sees that really, it was like a six-foot jumper that he had right in front of the rim. Uh, that he that he missed on that front of the rim on that one and uh, that one sticks out but it's like he's so capable of getting a bucket he's such an automatic bucket free throw extended that jumper and and we haven't seen a lot of that and and part of that's because he's gets into the paint so much and part of that's because he's been able to extend his range beyond the three-point arc and and he's had some success there but I think he's kind of got to get a little recalibrated refreshed and 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 hopefully you know, kind of get in the right mindset because 82 games is a long, long season. Yeah, I, I think it's tough to watch. Like when he's off, he's off. And especially, you know, I think everybody is uh, throughout this season. I think Demonis Sabonis got off to a little bit of a slow start in the first couple of games of the season. Right. But outside of that, he's been one of the most consistent players in the league. Um, we've seen Kevin Herter go through the down the downturn, he, even Malik Monk had like five games where he just was not impactful at all. And then all of a sudden the last four or five games, he's been excellent. Uh, We've seen it from Keegan Murray. We've seen it from Harrison Barnes. Like this team does have sort of an issue with taking turns. Like guys take turns being in prolonged slumps and then other guys take turns being really, really good. Um, Right now, again, Trey Lyles is on a crazy hot streak shooting. Um, Kevin Herner has been better and, and Harrison Barnes. Uh, I think it brings me to a, a, like a, the next topic, which is sort of like a more complex thing with the, uh, the emergence of Harrison Barnes, the, you know, resurgence, whatever you want to call it, um, where he went from a player who was completely non-impactful and looked like he was, you know, almost like an innings eater, right? A guy who's just out there playing 30 minutes a game, but you're not really getting a whole lot from him. Um, and then all of a sudden he becomes like this crazy player who's averaging over 20 points a game for like a long stretch. But as he goes up, 
Keegan Murray has gone down big time. And the erratic play of Keegan Murray, again, I, I think over, let's just say his last five games, he went like five points, five points, 33, maybe 33 or 32. Five points, and then 10 points, and then zero points. So like what we're seeing is, I don't, in a way, I don't know that you can have Harrison Barnes be Harrison Barnes and Keegan Murray be Keegan Murray and Harris and Kevin Herter be Kevin Herter all at the same time while Malik Monk and De'Aaron Fox and Demonis Sabonis do what they do. No, you can't. You no. can't. That's what we talk about. Like if, if he's going to score, it's going to come at the expense of somebody else. And him getting to the free throw line is a good thing. That's why I'm not worried about him so much but the guy that picks up when you'd like to have harrison barnes be the guy that picks up the slack if somebody else is off if somebody's experiencing an off night Hmm. and i think that it's helpful for hb to be the one kind of getting a little bit more involved in the offense because i think there's a lot more things keegan can do outside of scoring than the current form of harrison barnes you know like last night Keegan didn't score much. If he doesn't get in foul trouble, though, I still think he could have had a decent defensive impact in that game. Jaden Ivey playing really well late in that fourth quarter, um, or really the entire fourth quarter. He had 19 points. I thought that Fox and Ivey just looked like each other for a large majority of that game. You know, it looked like this year's De'Aaron Fox was on the Pistons, and this year's Jaden Ivey was was on the Kings for most of that game. Ivey was phenomenal. Um, but I think that Keegi Keegi. Nice. Keegan, we're going to, we're going to ignore that one. Um, I I think that Keegan can do more outside of scoring and they can coexist, not to say they can't, but there very clearly has been a very black and white example of there's only so many shots that can go up. You know, you look at those, those last games that James is talking about, you go back six games, he's managed single digit shot attempts in five of those. And that's something that has only happened uh, single digits, a, a good amount throughout the, actually the the course of this year. Um, but I, I think that it's very clear that HB getting more involved has definitely led to less offensive opportunities for Keegan. And it was interesting asking Mike Brown today. He was pretty much saying that he just thinks like Kevin need, or Keegan needs to be more aggressive in finding ways to get his own shot, whether that's when you're coming off the screen, be more forceful with your downhill attack and, and little things like that. So I think there's definitely ways that he can figure out how to get more involved, but I think more importantly, like keep the defensive consistency there. Yeah. I mean, the way I I've looked at this, like the first 41 games short, it feel like they were really pushing, pushing, pushing to develop Mm -hmm. Keegan Murray. They get to game 42, the midway point of the season. It's like, okay, we need to win games. Let's, we're going to go more. We're going to get Harrison Barnes back involved. We're going to try to like develop like who we are as a team again. We're go, we're going to go back to who we maybe a little bit were last year. And in the meantime, the whole, uh, the defense went to just shit. I mean, just went to hell in a handbasket. Whatever's happening with the defense, like it, it is like, making everything else like look very, very off and weird. Um, but I think it also shows. You think that, you think that comes at the, like, you think they're going away from developing Keegan though? No, I like, I don't think it's like fully 
I just don't think it is the 100% focus that it was early in the season. And at, at this point, I think it's, hey, we, we're developing, we're developing, we're going to keep developing him. But at the same time, let's pull back a little bit on featuring him every single night. Let's make sure that we get Harrison Barnes back up to speed. Let's make sure that we get Kevin Herter back up to speed. We have to have this thing look more like it did last year on the offensive end. We need to get back to who we are. And then, you know, I think we'll we'll see more of Keegan Murray sort of come back around and and be part of what they're doing. But I also think it kind of exposes the Kings to like what they need. Like what you need is you like realistically, you don't need a Harrison Barnes type all around player at the small forward spot or the power forward spot, whatever you're gonna put him at. You need a three and D guy who is okay taking eight shots a game, but is an elite defender the whole time. And that's still what you need at that position. And that would allow Keegan to become more of who he is. And, you know, and, and some of the other guys as well. I just don't think that having your top seven guys all be offensive players is really like the easiest way to win games and to give Mike Brown the support he needs to run a defense that looks anywhere near like NBA they're they at this point they they don't look like they can defend anyone when you need mealtime inspiration it's worth shopping kroger where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie and no matter what tasty choice you make you'll enjoy our everyday low prices plus extra ways to save like digital coupons worth over 600 dollars each week you can also save up to one dollar off per gallon at the pump with fuel points more savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping kroger worth it every time kroger fresh for everyone fuel restrictions apply another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help for your financial to-dos bank of america has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals get started at one of our local financial centers or 24 7 in our mobile banking app Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I mean, they're searching for lineups, right? Like, I feel like that Pistons game, we saw a lineup we've probably seen a couple times, but really even more so in that where you're going with Fox and Avion and Malik Monk. And you're going with uh, Trey Lyles and uh, Sasha and uh, yeah, Sasha Bazenkov out there even, and you're going small. And I don't know, like post game, Mike talked very much, Mike Brown, about how disappointing that defensive performance was because it's the same thing that they've done all year long. And he echoed it today. And part of why it's so frustrating is because he's seen them be good. And I think that's what's weird about this season is there's more examples of them being capable and a solid defensive team. But there's also more examples than there were last year of them being, well, maybe not more. Last year was pretty tough too, but probably on par for how many examples there was of them being a really poor defensive team. And it's just things like keeping mental tabs on your personnel while in game. You know, I think they could use a more media friendly wording than hot guys. So we're not sitting here talking about hot guys, but they label the hot guys and the not hot guys based on their shooting, not their appearance for what it's worth. No, I'm not. Um, It depends. You know, (laughs) I don't know what Kelly Oubre's label is. Okay. We'll find out. Um, But I think that it's just little things of coach talks about when you close out, 
on a shooter. He used an example with De'Aaron Fox in that game against the Pistons of it's not just closing out with a hand in his face. It's if it's a hot guy that gets your sh- uh, chest pretty much into the side of his body. You know, and every time Mike says hot guy or somebody says hot guy post game, I like have to not chuckle like guy. you guys are doing it right now. You, <laughs> you know, it's wild. I had ne- and look, my mind goes to places. How have you never? Not, you'd never? I know that out. hadn't occurred to me. And now I'm saying not, it all I'm year long. Hear it a lot. It was it's, to I'm me. I say it all year long. I always thought of it as the guy you don't want to leave open because he's yeah. going to hit a shot. <laughs> they, they use the wording hot guy all year long. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> hey, I, I'm going to here. I'm just going to, for this sake of exercise, how many players played last night? You guys, how many players take it? Take it. Don't head. look, Brendan. Nine. Don't look, Brendan. Um, yeah, nine. Okay. And who were they? The starting five. So off the bench. Yeah. So Monk, Sasha, Trey Lyles, um, Davion, Davion. Okay. And then, and then the starters. Yep. So, is that not the exact same team ex- that played last year, except for Sasha Vizenkov Sasha. played five minutes and 31 seconds? It's the same team, and they got their ass yeah. whooped by the worst team in basketball. <laughs> yep. I- I'm just saying. like got their ass whooped by the worst team in basketball. They Historically. Did. They did. It was pretty bad. <laughs> they they did. Was they three of their best players. Who literally didn't have a single hot guy on the team. Uh, uh, like and if there was, it's Ellis. I mean, it's uh, Burks. I mean, Jaden uh, Ivey was pretty well, smoking, but that's because he's playing the Kings. I mean, someone's got to score. You let that team score fifty-five points. I, I've hit. Alec I mean, shoot fifty-five percent from three. Yeah, Alec Burks. Alec Burks. That's the one guy you had to defend. Now on the Knicks. Now on the Knicks. Yeah. So we, so, no, we what got I, the best of the uh, Detroit Pistons. Historically awful team. Like we. Is is Sacramento? We got to see the 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 Pistons end it right there. Like it all came to an end. We got to witness it, and then they won again tonight. You fix yeah, the Pistons. And, by the way, Jalen Pistons haven't played the Jaylen Sacramento Jaylen Kings. Was, whew, what a beast that guy was! Not only last it, night, but in, in, tonight especially. Jalen Duren's a monster. Yeah, he's he's a really really good young player. They they hit a home run there. But you guys understand what I'm saying, right? Like sometimes, what are we doing? What are we like? Literally, <laughs> the same eight guys that played all of last season, like your your core eight, went out there and got mollywopped. Like they just got crushed. Like what you are know, you doing? Yeah, I mean, look, it, it sucks because you want people to react to the weight like James is doing because like it should be unacceptable and it carries weight. But then you look at someone like De'Aaron Fox who never gets too high or too low, and I know that bothers some people. But again, like it is who you are. You're 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 the team that can lose to the worst team in basketball history, and you're the team that can go out there and beat a defending champion, possibly on Friday night. And it's just it's just what this team is. And so um, that's why I was. I mean, I don't think I was the only one last night looking around the media room, going, "Yeah, you know, they're more than capable of losing this game, even coming off a five and two seven game season long road trip." Because they haven't been playing, they have moments where they play well, and they have moments they play like dog shit, and mm. it just is what they are. So again, like, does does a six game winning streak does it does it mask all of it? It does because it the, if you would if the Kings had taken care of business last night and beat Detroit, we're not talking about any of that. You're not. You might still be talking about the three point 
percentages, you know, defensive percentages and and what they're doing defensively or lack of defensive defensively on the perimeter. Sure. But overall you're saying, ah, but they continue to win. They're, they're now 10 games now over the (laughs) over 500. And it's just, it's wild. I feel like all of last year, I was just saying they're good enough offensively to win any night and they're bad enough defensively to lose any night. And you know, maybe that'll mix the reasonings a little bit this year, but the same holds true. I'm I'm definitely with you, Sean. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think that. I, Go ahead, Sean. No, no, I I, I knew we were going to get to some comments here in a minute, but I I, I want to. I know trade deadline and everything. People are still racking their heads over. There's two things I saw all day: is how cheap the Kings are, how cash considerations deserves a uniform, you know, <laughs> all these things. But it's like I I just want to like also I, I I say this I think every year look at the people who get reported to be traded and then still wind up on the same team after the trade deadline. Like all the names, all these names you're hearing about, I think you have to take a lot of those reports with grains of salt because a lot of times they don't get moved. And I think this trade deadline was another great example. Learn, know your history. You know, what teams Alex Crusoe on? What teams Jeremy Grant on? What teams Matisse Thibel on? What team is Kyle Kuzma on? All these guys didn't get moved. Um, and there's several more you can you can rattle off that you would hear bandied about that that not only don't end up in Sacramento they don't end up they they stay on the same team. Yeah, I I get what your point is, and like the trade deadline, it it comes and it goes. I, I would say this like the Kings, if they really really are dedicated to like turning this thing into a long term winner they can't be number 22 in the league in in payroll just flat out like at, at a certain point and i get like there are reasons sometimes why you're you're where you are i mean the kings know that you know De'Aaron fox is under contract for two more years after this and then after that his contract is going to go like plaid i mean it's going to go like so ridiculous where he's going to be making 50 million dollars a year and that coincides with Demonis Sabonis eventually getting up to 50 million bucks. And it also coincides with uh, Keegan Murray becoming a player that you're going to have to extend. And so you, you can't just live in the moment and say, oh my gosh, they're so cheap. This is so horrible. You have to go out and spend. The move that they did at the end of the deadline, that's a logical move. It's also a move they probably could have made like a week earlier. And I bring this up because if you make that we that move a week earlier, you you trade for somebody from but you, you could have just t- traded for Robin Lopez a week ago and then waived him, then you could have still had your 15th roster spot when you get to the trade deadline. And you could have either done that again or you could have made whatever move that you wanted to make. But you have the ability to do that because the Kings, those are minimum scale contracts. You can absorb minimum scale contracts, give out future nothing contract for somebody who's never going to come over to the to the u.s and play um and so you have to give up an asset or you can give up a a top 58 protected second round pick like there are ways that you can actually make moves to get better and absorb cash and the Kings seem to like the last couple of years it feels like a money grab at the end and i it's just like for me it's a bad look more than it but it's functional and i understand why they do it because if you're not going to make another move you might as well do what they did today and then a couple of days from now they'll probably sign keon else for the rest of the season but lopez has to clear waivers first and get off your books right 
but he's still, well, I understand, like, they are 22nd. I mean, it look, I, I again, this team pays abundance of head coaches to not head coach. You know, this team is paying two max players right now. That hasn't been the case ever before. Um, these contracts are astronomical. And again, 22nd in payroll, I get it. And we've talked about it on this podcast. If you think you're going to be a contender, you're going to have to pay. You're going to get into the apron. You have to pay luxury tax. So th- they haven't yet, but they're also, in my opinion, don't have a team um, capable of doing that. So when you're looking at the likes of Malik Monk coming up to free agency, well, to me, it's a no-brainer. You, you the, you're gonna, you're gonna do what you can to be as fiscally responsible as possible. But there's been really nothing in the way of what this front office has done to make me think that they're frugal by any stretch cash considerations and doing some moves are necessary. No, I I agree. It's necessary. You, yeah, you keep cutting up a little bit, but I agree they're necessary, but I, I do understand the other side where people are saying like, look, this, this team's payroll is, it's not high enough to be, to compete with some of these other teams. And we keep talking about like they're really seven seven players deep at this point uh, that of really 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 high quality NBA players. You probably need to pay for an eighth I mean, and a ninth and a tenth. You know that's that's kind of what some of these teams did today, and what some of these teams do throughout their their team building process. And you talk about max money players, like everybody in the league is paying somebody. Like you got to figure, you know, that's, that's part of doing business in the NBA. You know, I, there's Jalen Brown in a couple of years is going to make almost 70 million bucks a year. And they still have Jason Tatum and they still have Porzingis. And that's why I could keep going because they have more players. And at, at a certain point, if you want to play with the big boys, you got to pony up. And I think the timeline that you pointed out is kind of the one that I really look at. And specifically when it comes to Keegan's extension or still being on a rookie deal. I think that during that time frame where you have not this offseason, but the next before he'd be up for an extension, and then you have through 2026 that he's still going to be on his rookie deal. Even if in it, say, a 30 plus million dollar extension is agreed upon, it wouldn't start until the 2026 27 season. Mm-hmm. So I think in that time is really what I look at as where the clock is ticking down towards of go add who your third or, you know, 3A, 3B is while. Keegan is still on that rookie deal. I think it's so important. Like in football teams talk about taking advantage of uh, winning with a rookie deal quarterback. Right. I think that the same thing is true for basketball with a lot of these guys. So I think taking advantage of Keegan still being on that rookie deal and finding a way to get that other big salary before he, his extension really kicks in um, whatever number that eventually is going to end up being, I think is kind of the, really the timeline that I'm, counting down towards i guess for what is this next big move going to eventually be but still got a decent amount of time until then you got like two off seasons and two more deadlines yeah but i mean that comes quickly right i I mean and you don't want to wait till the very end obviously no i mean shockingly but uh tomorrow's game is game 51 yeah and and, you know we haven't talked about the fact that the kings the next four five six seven games just brutal like they played denver three times they play OKC, they play the Suns, like they play the Timberwolves. Like this thing could get ugly really quickly. We talk about, oh, they're eight games over. They could be two games over, three games over here in really, really short amount of time. So they they only play they only play three more times at home this month. 
which is oh, yeah. a weird scheduling quirk with the all-star break in between. That's kind of been their February last couple of years. And then March is something crazy. How many home games in March? It's like 11, 12 or something. It's yeah, it, it might even be as high as 13. Like it's, it's totally, it's totally wild. So, all right. Um, let's get to the business of basketball. Dun-dun-dun, dun-dun-dun. I'm not ESPN, buddy. That was not the one you used last Sean, time. Sean, you didn't do anything. What, I thought no, that was what is my thing? I forget. What was, yeah, what that's was what that what one you did? Last did. Time? That's what that he did last time. Did. No, I can just I like make up you... a noise. I'll just. That, yeah, maybe that was what it was. <laughs> we could do that. That'll be my business. Yeah, basketball what? noise. What is happening? Okay, do it again, James. We got this. <laughs> Sean, think of something. I don't know if I can do what you just did right now. That's a uh... tough one to. The business oh. of basketball. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. This is totally oh, gone ridiculous. Um, number one, if you guys have questions, throw them in the chat right now. We'll get to questions here in, in just a couple of minutes. Uh, There's been a lot of uh, spicy chat. This has been a this has been a good uh, good good audience really, participation. Really happy in here. Happy and optimistic chat today. Happy and optimistic right. chat. Um, He's being facetious, of course. It's been vile. I like yeah. it though. Not you, I'm saying. <laughs> okay, so I think over the last couple of weeks, we've seen you know specific players play that may or may not have been part of what's going on or what what the long term. Do you think that Mike Brown is going to settle on a lineup? Is he going not a lineup, uh, a rotation? Is he is he going to keep tinkering using a guy here, a guy there? Is he going to? go back to someone like Keon Ellis, who is probably the best defender of the three-point line on the team um, with the team not playing any defense at the three-point line. What do you think we're going to see going forward? And do you think that what we've seen in the last like month has anything to do with the trade deadline? And once we get past the trade deadline, it might look totally different. And before I, before you guys answer, I will say Chris Duarte is going to be out for a while. He, he, uh, the injury report, the MRI, they said he has a moderate sprain, which I don't know what a moderate sprain is. There, there literally is a, like a chart that says a grade one, grade two, grade three ankle sprain. Moderate is not on that. Um, so I, I'm not sure what that means, but, um, I'll bygones. Uh, anyway, um, he's going to be out for a while. He was on crutches. Uh, in the locker room last night, uh, he walked in and his ankle was huge. Um, it looked like like someone like placed his ankle with a baseball, and it was like, oh, that's not good. What in the world happened? And he did it while warming up for the game in the practice facility. Anyway, I don't think he's going to be part of anything that's happening in Sacramento for a couple of weeks. Uh, that would just be my guess. But but you guys understand what I'm asking? The question is basically, do you think that there were some players that maybe? Um, not showcased, but maybe showcased uh, leading up to the deadline. Maybe they're trying to show that some guys could play and could do some things. And then we might see a different look after the deadline. No, I mean, I, I don't think so. I, I think, look, there's not a lot of trust outside of one through six in this rotation. And we've kind of talked about that. I think, you know, Trey Lyles has seven pretty much locked down. Uh, for the most part, but I think even there's even moments where he tends to, I think more, more times than not this year, he's shown the ability to be a very consistent player, but um, I, I don't know. I think, I think having Davion Mitchell in the lineup um, for what he puts 
defensively on paper uh, is going to be a part of the rotation. You mentioned Duarte's injury. I think that'll play a role for sure. Um, I, I don't know that there's moments that Kessler Edwards will be able to find moments or any minutes um, because he doesn't tend to be a guy that can maximize being put in two minute stretches. Mm. And that's hard. So if uh, I, I think you're kind of looking at what you, what you have, and I think it's still going to be a night to night scenario. I think it's, it's, you haven't seen Alex Len in a while. Um, Weird. Keon's another one. I think they're going to figure that out here in the next day or two. And then, um, but I think ultimately what you saw last night is in my mind going to be a pretty regular thing. And they, you might have examples when you're playing every other night, as opposed to having some days off in between where he goes deeper into his rotation. But again, I think that the trust level for Mike Brown, one through six, one through seven is about as far as it goes. Yeah, I think you go back the last nine games, there's been eight guys that have played every single night. You look at the starting five, and then you got Davion Mitchell, you got Malik Monk and Trey Lyles, and the backup big throughout that whole road trip of choice has been JaVale McGee, except the games where you look at the Warriors and their backup big is maybe a little bit smaller, like a Trace Jackson Davis or a Dario Saric, or if they're rolling out Draymond, or you go to Indiana and it's a Obi Toppin or a Jabari Walker or... Um, recently there's a, another one that I'm forgetting here team that matched them and played small. It was just the Pistons last night where Gallinari's playing the five or Muscala's playing the five. And in those moments, it seems like maybe Mike Brown will react with, uh, going the small ball lineup of their, of their own and going with Trey Lyles instead of JaVale McGee. But outside of that, like, it feels like it kind of has been a consistent rotation recently. And, I have my questions about if Davion is better than Keon. And I, I think that it's close enough that I don't know that it makes that much of a difference in my mind. I think that Keon does deserve to get upgraded to the main roster. He's at 47 games played right now. He can get to that 50 mark. And um, it wouldn't surprise me that kind of just explore the buyout market a little bit, give him those couple of days while uh, seeing what, if he's just going to step into that last roster spot or exactly the best way to go about that. But um, yeah. And then I, I I don't really get the Alex Len thing. Like I think that JaVale does provide unique things. His lob finishing is, is definitely a unique aspect and the way that he deters shots around the rim and not just blocks them is valuable. But I think that Alex Len does the same things except without being a lob threat. It's just a bounce pass instead of a lob that Malik throws, for example. And like you look at the on off numbers, Alex Len practically has their best defensive and offensive rating. He's got a plus 20, net rating and i feel like this is the same thing that was happening last year where it's like you know we're trying everything backup center and not really like i don't is alex len isn't getting that much run he's looked solid in small minutes so I, I think that um that one is a little bit confusing to me but i do feel like we've settled into a rotation for a little while i'm curious to see like davion and hb obviously being the two that would uh if they their role declined a little bit. It would be a pretty clear sign that, okay, maybe it was deadline related, but it wouldn't surprise me if they kind of keep rolling with what we've been seeing the last eight to 10 games. Yeah. It's been the same group. I mean, I, I think it's interesting. I, I don't know. I mean, there, there comes a point though, where, you know, a guy who brings energy, a guy who plays the right way, who, who brings like effort and, and can defend at a high level, like, like Keon Ellis, he probably deserves to uh, to get another shot here. He's also like so people know he's a two way contract. Um, 
he can only play up to 50 games with the main team. And I asked last night and he was at, he's only been in inactive for two games the entire season. And the person I asked didn't know if it's games played or if it's on the active list. I think it's I dressed. Think it's, I think it's uh, dressed. I think it's on the active list, which means that he's got like two more games remaining. Right. Do you have another number, Brenda? You said 47. You're oh, muted. you muted. Whoops, hockey's not working. Basketball reference for what it's worth has him as three inactive games this year. Okay. Is the hockey anything like the hot guy? Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I mean, I didn't press it hard enough, close out hard enough. Is that the same? Is that a correlation? You <laughs> um, you know, there's the actual it's kind of weird. I don't know if anyone else feels this way, but um outside really one through the, the, the player that hasn't played so much that has captured my imagination or curiosity and it's mainly mike brown's fault because he's mentioned him on occasion is is really um colby jones and wondering if he has any shot of cracking a rotation even even if it's a small uh moment because he is a guy who when given opportunity seems to impact the game in small stretches rather he doesn't need a a wind up if you will he comes out and he's kind of guns a blazing right out the bat Hmm. Yeah, I, I like Colby Jones. Um, Colby Jones reminds me a little bit of the style of players that, that we see Mike Malone develop in Denver. You know, the Christian Browns of the world, like where he just goes out there and plays hard the whole time and gives you something. Like he might make mistakes, but for every mistake he makes, he makes like four other plays that you're like, huh, that was interesting. Like, look how, how he got on the floor. Look how he dove out of bounds. Look how he stole the ball uh, from a big man standing underneath the basket, that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, so I, I'm with you. I, I would be I would be down for uh, a little bit more Colby Jones. Um, let's get to a question here. We got Brad. Uh, is there a logical explanation for the road defensive rating being so much better than at home? Last year, eighth in defensive rating. This year, they're 10th. Over uh, a year and a half in these uh, with uh, with similar results. Um, any thoughts I, on that? I think the logic I kind of settled on last year because this was definitely a talking point last season was that it's easier for I think the Kings to believe that they're going to go on a run and maybe be a little bit more lax lackadaisical when they're in their own building defensively. And I don't think that's a valid excuse, but it was kind of the logic I ended up settling on trying to figure that out last year because it was just as confusing last year as it has been throughout the course of a couple games this year sean um i don't know i mean this team just plays better on the road for whatever reason i know they had a nice home record uh this this season as well um they've kind of but in recent years it's been like they've been kind of a better road team i feel like they played it better to together uh as opposed to just having some guy that goes off at home or something. I don't know. I don't know what to attribute it to. I think obviously your defensive rating is going to get better the more you win games. So it can sometimes get skewed a little bit there, but um, the way they defend the perimeter is garbage. So <laughs> that to me is a, a bigger problem. Um, but yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess they just maybe because they're playing more as a collective unit and having some success on the road, factor in the five and two seven game road trip and if you just looked at it right around then that's probably gonna look a little bit better than if you do 
maybe at the end of this month where things get a little bit weird, but I don't think it's against upper upper echelon opponents. We'll see what happens. And the teams just shoot better on open shots in Golden One Center for some reason than in other places. Like I know the Kings are giving up more open shots than they should, which definitely plays a part here. Uh, but teams just love this building. Like Anthony Edwards last year said how much he loves Golden One Center. Uh, Sean, I remember. I don't know if you remember. I was just going to bring it up to you. The Pacers, yeah, I was just right? Bring it up. Yeah. Um, yeah, we're wait, waiting there for Tyrese and Buddy, kind of as the Pacers are in town for shoot around, and I think it was um, Jabari Walker behind us is just like, man, I love shooting in this building. And as they're warming up on the court, like, I don't know, guys just love shooting in Golden One Center, I guess. Well, it sight lines are good. And I, I also think um, the black seats, the backdrop, like it, it is a good backdrop. It like the basket is pulled out. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I'll say this, like when it comes to that question, like you guys answered your the question there. I'd say that the Kings are a team that um, like they love the energy of the home crowd, but when you go on the road, there are so many buildings in the league that don't have that type of energy and you have to create your own energy. And I think that by creating your own energy, a lot of times you have to do that on the defensive end. And so you end up being a better defensive team because you have to, you have to stop the other team from getting that energy from their crowd you've got to quiet the crowd and the way to do that is to play solid defense. Um, but I don't know. It, it's really bizarre. Um, they are a better, well, I don't know if they're a better road team than they are a home team this year. I think it's pretty even, even the home, they were up a little bit overall, but the defensive rating on the road is just totally bizarre. Like, I, I don't know. Uh, let's get to this one. Um, Kells 916. I know it's a slim chance, but do you but who do you think the Kings should target in the buyout market? Corey Joseph. Corey Joseph. Um we did have uh like we were having a discussion today after after practice um about about a little bit of this, right, Brennan? Like yeah, about the apron many, teams. Yeah, there are seven teams that can't sign any of the big name buyouts. So they can't... yeah, sorry, not to interrupt you. Um, the over apron teams, at least over the first apron, some of these are over the second um, are Boston, Denver, Golden State, the Clippers, the Heat, the Bucks and the Suns, meaning they cannot sign a player in the buyout market that was making more than 12.4 million that the MLE going into this season. Um, so limits the options for for some of these guys and maybe make Sacramento one of the more appealing options. And I, I think that there's a case they could make to some guys of there being a potential, at least to compete for minutes, a guy like, you know, Joe Harris or Daniel house, I'm sure is going to be an exciting or like a exciting. <laughs> um, but you know, I, I think a guy that um, some teams will probably compete for, for the fringe of their roster a little bit. So it helps their case a little bit but not all those guys obviously fall into that uh 12 or under sorry excuse me over that 12.4 mark so they'd still be eligible for those teams that are probably going to be uh decently bit more uh appealing to those guys than the kings yeah we've got like jed lowry I, i'm not jed lowry jed um, lowry. Kyle lowry kyle lowry kyle, Which, kyle lowry not there's the a lot of second baseman for the philly A's. there okay um kyle lowry we've got joe harris um Who's the Nets who went to Toronto? 
Uh, Spencer, Spencer Dinwiddie. Dinwiddie. Uh, who else is above that that plateau? Um, is Oladipo? No, Oladipo's been like five million bucks. Um, yeah, interesting. Yeah. I don't think that there are a lot of players that in the buyout market as of today. There was talk that maybe Gordon Hayward would be bought out, but then he got traded to OKC. Um, there are some other like maybe we'll see some and Gallinari. I'm not sure if Gallin what Gallinari made. Um, I was surprised him when he made 20, real close to 20, and Joe Harris right at 20. So like those guys, yeah, that's crazy talk. Um, so yeah, Sean, like we know, like the Kings have never been part of the buyout market, even. To be honest, they almost got Daniel House a couple of years ago on the buyout market and didn't get him. He went to Philly instead. Philly or somewhere else instead. Yeah, I was just trying to refresh my memory on that one. Um, I, look, I and there's not really anyone that, there that just makes me, yeah, yeah, go get him. I mean, I don't know Harry that Giles. any of those names. And did he get bought out? I'm pretty sure Harry did. did or he got I, waived. I sorry. sorry, I Harry, think Harry I Giles got waived. Yeah, here he goes. Oh, shoot. I don't, where have I been? I didn't see that all day. Um, sure. <laughs> I mean, I don't know that the, the trouble is, is I, I think any of these guys that they go out and get, I can't really see them, you know, cracking rotation outside of maybe just a, you know, garbage time or seeing if, if anything, maybe, you know, see if anything sticks. But, you know, I, I think you could maybe look around the G League some. Uh, I think ultimately, you, you know, you're going to keep this team largely together um I, I think 10 day contracts and stuff like that could have been interesting um you saw certainly what they did with Juan Toscano Anderson it it earlier this year um maybe before you know the thing you can do with Keon Ellis is is even before making the decision to keep him oh, or to elevate him is to just send him to G League he's not going to play let's say even with Keon Ellis it's like you could still just let him not dress and go to Stockton as, as a true two way and maybe bring in a, a 10 day or two or, a, you know, if you, if you want to take a flyer on somebody to see how they fit and then ultimately go back and elevate Keon for the rest of the year. Right, James. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Keon else, because he is a two way, like basically he's running out of time with the main roster. He hasn't played a game in Stockton. So there, there comes a point where you're kind of part of the main team. And like, so, so I don't know, like to me, I think there's a higher likelihood that they just give him the roster spot, but maybe I'm off with that. I don't know. Um, anyway. Yeah. I, I, uh, that's a good question though. Like I, the buyout market is going to be weird. Um, yeah. I, I don't know that the Kings will get involved. Um, do we have any, you know what? I have not asking, asked the baby daddy, uh, which Kyle <laughs> loves when I say this. Uh, how did you ever, uh, did I ever ask, uh, Mike Brown if he will ever practice at Golden One Center court and not just a practice facility court? I haven't asked him that question. Um, I, I need to, I, I will though, because I think it is kind of intriguing that the Kings never shoot in their, on their home court. Uh, and, and they do like individually in pregame, but they don't for, uh, for shoot around, which is something other coaches have done. But also, opposing teams do shoot. They're not allowed in the practice facility. They do shoot on the home court, on the Kings' home court. And when the Kings are on the road, more often than not, they do shoot at the team's home court as well. So, um, so maybe there is something to that about being better because you're you've already shot it. I don't, I don't know. know. 
it doesn't, first of all, scoring is not a problem on this team. So unless it's going to help their defense, I don't know how that's going to really help them. Uh, yeah, I mean, scoring's not a problem, but like, it's not like this is a great offensive team. They're like 12th in the league in offensive rating. Like there are a lot of teams that are playing a lot better than them offensively. Um, how about this one? Uh, do you guys have an answer on this? How is Jalen Slauson's development progressing in Stockton? Yeah, I mean, I think that he's definitely gotten the opportunity to get up more threes. I think that's kind of been a really important thing for him throughout the course of this season. He started pretty hot, but in the regular season, he's only knocked down 26 and a half percent of his like just under three a game in these 16 games. So I think that he knows that's going to be a really important part of his continued development, but he's an energy guy. He, He brings... Um, a lot of just passion and you know what you're getting. I think every single possession with him flying around, but um, you know, it reminds me a lot of like, I, you know, growing up a Celtics guy, like watched a lot of, or this isn't growing up, I guess, but um, like watching Jalen Brown when he first came into the league, just slowly get more defined, I think was definitely an interesting process for me. And like the beginning of, of Jalen Brown just looks ridiculously like you're just so out of control and you are just trying to do things quicker than maybe your mind is actually processing it. And certainly not saying that Jalen Slauson is anywhere near Jalen Brown, but I think that that's what you said. The, we heard it. You're not, well, you I, know, that's what I heard. You know, you wrote it on the paper, <laughs> give it a couple years, you know, is also what I said. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that the athleticism is clearly there and the physical tools and the will to try and do these things. But I think the processing and adjusting to NBA speed, getting that three ball cleaned up is just kind of going to be a process for Slauson. Um, would anyone here uh, like Myers Leonard from Alex? Like really Alex? No, nope. I, I, no, nope. I just had to throw it up. There. When's the last um, time he played too? I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm genuinely asking that. I have no idea. Didn't the Lakers try something with him? I think they were going to and didn't. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think they thought better of it. Um, yeah. Uh, okay. Well, I think that's going to wrap it. Uh, wrap it up here for the King's Beat podcast. Um, yeah, Brendan wants to laugh. <laughs> because, I don't know, I thought of the ESPN noise again in my head. I just didn't say it out loud this time. I don't know why. Weird. <laughs> trying to think um, of ad libs. Got to spice this up, guys. Yeah, what do we got for uh, for final thoughts? What do we? No, wait, wait, wait. What do we have for Super Bowl predictions? Are you kidding me? What type of question is this? If any of you pick the Chiefs, I am leaving. The only time I've muted a word on Twitter was when the Niners lost to the Chiefs last time in the Super Bowl. I had to word, mute the word Mahomes because I honestly was so heated. I will mini rant for a sec here. At the end, as the Niners are up a touchdown. The broadcast, this one really made my blood boil. Broadcast is like Patrick Mahomes has the Niners right where he wants them. And I was like, what the are you talking about right now? He wants to be down a touchdown right now. And it's because every postseason game leading up, he'd come back from down a touchdown plus. And I hate it. I hate it. I'm at the current stage of hating the dynasty. And eventually I reach a point like I have with LeBron where I respect it and I'm like, I enjoy it. Uh, now, Chiefs are in the middle of it. I'm sick of it. And let's go Niners. Bang, bang, Niner gang. This is a win, and I don't want to hear any differently. Final score? Let's go mm, 
33. Okay. Sean, what do you got for us? Sean Um, is not going to the Super Bowl. No, no. Yeah. You guys can email my boss or something. Um, Yeah. The, 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 uh, I was pretty dead on with my final score with NFC championship. We've lost Sean. I like again. picking final scores. I think he was, so was going to pick the Chiefs. That's why. Pleasant surprised that, that that almost happened. I was You're back. Because I, I, did I freeze again? My internet's been bad tonight, huh? A like li- just a little bit. Um, no, I, first. Okay. No, I was, I was going to say, I was actually, I picked the NFC championship score almost like dead on. And I don't know how I did that, but I feel, I feel like I have a rule where I don't pick against Patrick Mahomes in the postseason unless it's a Shut Super up. Bowl. Okay. Um, no, come on. I said, oh. unless it's a Super Bowl. So, uh, I'm over one, at least when it comes to the Niners and picking against Mahomes. So, uh, yeah, man, I, I think the Niners are poised for this. They've played two games in the postseason where the season was on the brink. I really like the matchup because along the storylines of being able to, you know, you've had your heart broken by this team and, and in general, look at that guy, company man throwing on the 49er hat. Um, having your heart broken by this team and a lot and largely having a lot of of a roster made up of largely a lot of these same players getting that to be able to have the storyline of get would be great. So yeah, I, I really like that. And I like the fact that in this matchup, both teams had their season on the brink at one point in this season where things were going really bad for a moment and they were able to recover. And I think the Niners having, you know, their backs against the wall in those two playoff games season on the line, I think they're going in there with, Nothing to lose mentality, even though everything's to lose, because I don't think this team win or lose is going to look the same next year. Hmm. So what's your your pick is Niners? What's the score? Yeah. Well, everyone's going, oh, it's going to be such a great offensive game. I think it's not. I think it's going to you have two great defenses right now. And I think this is going to be like a 27-24 or a 24-21 game. Uh, for the in favor of the Niners, and I hate to say this, everyone goes, "Oh, what's your X factor? Is it Brock Purdy? Is it no? My X factor is Jake Moody. Nice. He needs okay. to be on, man. He needs to be on. I'm gonna choose Niners twenty three uh, seventeen, and I'm gonna say that uh, it's that Jake Moody misses an extra point just because. Um, and I don't believe in Jake Moody. So yeah, that that's where I'm at. Uh, Like, I I think it's going to be a really good game though. Um, I'm hoping it's not a, well, I I hope that it's not just a horrible game for Niners fans because Mahomes, when Mahomes gets going, uh, he's, he's nearly impossible to stop and, and their defense just tackles everybody. They, they are the most sure tackling team I've seen this season. And that's scary because the Niners have moments where they just don't tackle well at all. And uh, yeah, so I think the Niners are going to have to step up and actually wrap people up and, and like secure the, secure the tackle in this game, if they, they're going to beat them. Um, Yeah. The last two Super Bowls, by the way, decided by three points. Mm. And who's, who's our, uh, who's, who's singing? What do you got for us? Well, you Sean? got Usher at the Usher is doing the the halftime performance, which I do. Everyone's like, "Oh, they're gonna are you gonna have a you know cameo by somebody?" It's like, yeah, you're gonna probably have Little John come out there, but I also think you're gonna see Justin Bieber. That's my bold prediction. 
Oh. Justin Bieber just did a small little kind of gathering concert with the NHL All-Star uh, venue and stuff like that. And I also think um, since Usher essentially gave him his career, uh, it's such a part of Usher's storyline. And I think he might. And he hasn't like Bieber hasn't performed before last weekend or a couple weekends ago, whatever it was. I, I think you might see that. Um, Reba McIntyre has the has the uh, national anthem. Post Malone is doing America the Beautiful, and it, oh, I'm blanking. Oh, uh, Audra Day is doing the uh, lift every voice and sing. So hmm. I like these. I like way these. better lineup than last year. Hmm. Yeah. All right. <laughs> All right. So uh, let's hit final thoughts real quick. What do you guys got, uh, Brennan? Um, I watched Kobe's statue unveiling earlier today. Um, oh. Actually, three statues that they gave Kobe Bryant. Really? And well, three. Him. One, one. The other two are going to come at a later date. Okay. Yeah. Got you. I mainly so got those... the speeches rather than yeah. the statues themselves. Um, but it was a fun reminder again, as a guy that grew up a Celtics guy, and I absolutely hated Kobe as a player. And uh, it's still like, I don't know, I guess a little bit of a tearjerker to listen to some of those speeches and just the impact he had on so many people and see Vanessa go up there and talk, obviously, or uh, Phil Jackson talking a lot or Shaq talking about it on the broadcast after the fact. Um, so I thought it was a really cool moment and definitely recommend checking out some of those uh, speeches from it. Sean? Vanessa, Vanessa Bryant was great. Uh, yeah. She was, she said Kobe. So the one that they unveiled was the one of him in the eight Jersey. There will be one of him and uh, his daughter, Gianna, who obviously was in that crash as well, sadly. And then the, another one will be with him in the 24 Jersey. And so they only showed this one and the other two will come out and it'll be unveiled at a later time. But uh, one of the things I found funny was what Vanessa Bryant said and said, before they unveiled it, they said, you should know that Kobe, this is the the vision that Kobe had of him in the eight Jersey with this statue said, if you don't like it, tough shit, it was just delivered beautifully in front of that crowd. And uh, she, she continues to impress me. I think she's been a, just a pillar of strength through the whole ordeal. So cool to see her have that moment. And uh, my final thought would be, I don't, I guess that's it. That's probably it. I'm with you, Brennan. The, I don't, I'm just a whole bunch of nothing up here today. So <laughs> today, sure. Yeah. Today, just, today. just, just one time. Um, a final thoughts for me, uh, be safe, um, drink responsible on Super Bowl Sunday, have a good time, watch a game, enjoy the game. Uh, try not to get too overly emotional. Uh, just whatever happens, happens. And, uh, I don't know. It, it should be intriguing. I don't, what's the over under on how many times Taylor Swift is, is four and uh, a half. I looked it up. Four and a half. Four and a half. Oh, I'm taking the over on that. I saw some places had five and a half also, but I, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Um, sweet. Also, uh, if you're if you're like Taylor Swift or any of these prop bets, like how do you not just get a friend and go like set out? Like there, there's things where like they're talking her. about does yeah no I'm saying like look she's gonna be there she's gonna be shown a lot but like even like the national anthem if it goes over a certain you can bet on the prop bet of how long the national anthem goes and if you're yeah. Reba McIntyre and you're like oh I just got I, I'm I'm hip to this now all I got to go is maybe a little bit over let me just go have my friend make a million dollar bet on this one prop bet and I can double my money that'd be unethical sure that's Sean. I'm sure that's well, never happened before Sean <laughs> never never but I will say this like I you know I'm I was uh we lost Sean again MVP is Sean's Wi-Fi today yeah you're the real MVP. 
uh, <laughs> credential to go to the Super Bowl. We ended up, we, we had a different, sorry. I'm You're back, back now. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, no, so I was, really I was credentialed fast. to yeah, it was credentialed to go to the Super Bowl. Our sports director, Andrew Martin, is part of our uh, Fox 40 coverage down there, and he's doing a great job. But the uh, I get a lot of these emails about just prop bets and things, and I thought you might like uh, a few of them, if I can bring it up here quickly. Quickly. But, yeah, I'll try and find it quickly. But like things that literally can come down to uh, Usher's first words in the halftime show. If he says yo, that's five. That's a plus two fifty. <laughs> if he says Vegas or Las Vegas, like literally, they have um, the playlist like uh, of all his songs. OMG, My Way, Caught Up, Yeah. The one where is fifty to one would be Boyfriend or My Boo. Those are the two Usher songs that that are least likely to be saying according to Vegas. And you can literally bet on these. Um, the type of necklace on Usher first appearance so the moment they show him what kind of necklace is he wearing is it a ball and chain a box chain a cable chain a figaro chain link chain rollo chain or a rope chain and you can bet on these things so if i'm seeing this and i'm usher and i've got i'm in literally in control of like nine different prop bets how do you not like set your boy up and just go go put money on this this is what we're going to do and and you can completely control that that's how the rich stay richer james absolutely crazy sean i can't believe that that there are degenerates out there that are betting on usher's chain i guess that's the world we crazy. live in all right thanks I mean, for tuning in to the king's beat podcast i gotta get to bed i got i have a show in the morning uh oh, but uh thanks for tuning win? in tonight I, i'm glad we got a live show in um that's thanks alex uh not not alex rob h that's a you made me laugh uh, to end the show um oh. thank Thanks for tuning in uh, to the Kings Beat, Kings Beat podcast brought to you by Prize Picks, uh, a Blue Wire podcast. Um, let's see. Uh, we'll be back early next week. Uh, we'll try to get back to two shows a week, although All-Star Break is coming up pretty quickly. Um, but uh, thanks for tuning in for Box 40, Sean Cunningham and Brendan Nunes from the Kings Pulse podcast. I am James Hammond, Kings Insider for ESPN 1320 and the Kings Beat. We'll see you soon.